Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I don't know about you guys, but I have been loving this series, and I love that this whole series comes from this one passage. And so for context, let's just pick up where we've been picking up every week. Let's read this together. This is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? And here's that statement. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so we've looked at this scripture from just about every angle over the last month. If you've missed some of the weeks, I would encourage you to go back and check it out on the app or the podcast. But today, I want to take a look at this at this scripture, in particular, this statement that your life is not your own, that your body is not your own, because really this is a statement in an idea that is rooted in identity. And so today the title of my message is your identity. My identity is not my own. And identity is interesting because it's kind of like a big hot topic right now, right? Like it's at the forefront of our cultural awareness. It feels like it's, it's creating tension in political streams. It's creating tension at the table with our families. It's this idea of how do you identify? And today we're not going to delve a whole lot into our sexuality or gender. Put a pin in that. We will talk about it maybe a little bit at the end. But I just want to talk about this idea of identity because in our relationship with God, there are two very important questions that we have to answer. The first one that every one of us will have to answer, this is the most important question you will ever answer in your life, It's who is Jesus? Remember, Jesus was asking his disciples, who do you say I am? And remember when Peter got it right, he said, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And so when you get that question right, that changes your life. When I say, Jesus, you are the one and only son of God, and it's only by grace through faith that I am saved, that changes your life, right? But then there's another question, a follow-up question that is equally important, and here it is. Who am I? Who am I? So I just want you to imagine for a moment that you're meeting someone for the first time, you're sitting over coffee or over lunch, and they ask you, who are you? I want you to think about how you would answer. Like, I think some of us, this would be like clockwork. We would, we would just say, I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a grandma. I'm a grandpa. And you know the grandma and grandpas, they pull out their phone, and they just start thumbing through all the pictures of their grandkids, right? Like, like clockwork. And so maybe you find your identity in that. Maybe you find your identity and what you do. And so you would say, well, I work in HR. I work in IT. I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. I'm a teacher. I work in finance. We find our identity in what we do. You know, it's it's interesting. I was was on a trip this summer, and I was at a summer camp, and I got to preach to a bunch of students, and it was amazing. And I was checking out of the hotel, and I had a Youngstown clothing company shirt on, And this woman struck up a conversation with me. She spotted me outside from across the canopy. And she said, you from the valley? And uh, it was like 30 seconds in. And you would have thought we had been friends for a lifetime. I mean, we, we had an understanding. You know what I mean? Because we identified with where we were from, with where we were born. And you could, man, very few people move to the valley, right? But everybody moves from the valley. There's people from Youngstown all over the world. So it took us 30 seconds. And we started talking about well, the, the important things, right? Like, where's your favorite place to get ice cream? Where's your favorite slice of pizza? I'm not going to share my opinion. I don't want to start any battles in here today. But, but we started talking about the important things. And all of it came back to our identity, where we found our identity in where we were from. And so there are so many different ways that we can find our identity. Here's another one. Maybe you find your identity in who you follow. 
in your fandom. Oh, I'm a sports fan. I'm a Browns fan. I'm a Steelers fan. I, I'm, I'm a deadhead. I'm a Trekkie. I'm a believer. Do we have any believers in the house? All the people over 35, those are the people that like Justin Bieber. Okay, anyways. But it's, it's endless, right? Some of y'all get so excited on May the 4th. It's your favorite day of the year, right? You just cannot wait to say, may the 4th be with you. <laughs> you know, like that is your thing. I'm sorry. I love Star Wars too. I love Star Wars too. But we all have our things. Some of you, you get so excited when Apple has release day, right? Like you are waiting with anticipation for them to show you the next model that they didn't change at all, but they'll charge you 500 more bucks to buy it, right? Why? Because we find our identity sometimes even in who we follow. And so this is funny. Like, I wonder if some of us, maybe we even pick up a label that we didn't ask for. We had this kid in our youth group years ago as a youth pastor, and um, his name was Matt, but nobody called him Matt. Everybody called him Mountain Dew Matt. And here's why we called him Mountain Dew Matt, because Matt never drank water. I can't think of one time I have ever seen Matt drink water. Maybe he got some in the ice chips in his Mountain Dew, but it's a miracle that this boy was still alive. And the reason we called him Mountain Dew Matt, furthermore, is because if you were to tell him any type of Mountain Dew, he could tell you the year it was released. He had the date memorized of Baja Blast and Code Red. And so eventually it just stuck. And to this day, I have to force myself not to call him Mountain Dew Matt. Now, for some of you, maybe you picked up a label when you were five years old. Somebody spoke something about you or over you, and you haven't been able to shake that label for 25 or 45 or 55 years. We always laugh because my dad, if you ever ask Pastor Joe, can you sing? He'll say, oh no, I cannot sing. And the funny thing is, if you ever hear my dad sing, I mean, he's, he's not like, you know, the greatest singer in the world, but he can carry a tune. But it all goes back to this moment that shaped his identity when he was in like third grade at his Catholic school and they were singing in a choir and a nun came up, came up to him and heard him sing it. And she, she said, little Joey Caminetti, you have a very bad voice. She said, just mouth the words and everybody else will sing it. <laughs> I know. Can you pray for healing for my dad? So to this day, he will tell you, I am a horrible singer. We remember and we, we, we hold on to the labels in our life, even if they limit us. Now, some of us, we might even find our identity in achievement. Some of you, you're, you're a student, and if I were to ask you, who are you? You would say, I'm an athlete. I lettered in three sports. My team went to state this year. You're, that's just, you're out, your whole identity is wrapped up in what you've achieved in that way. Some of you, it's your achievements, it's achievements with academics, and you're like, hey, I graduated summa cum laude and, and I'm headed to the top of my class and I graduated with honors and I'm gonna get this degree at this prestigious school so I can have these letters in front of my name. And that's where we find our identity in what we achieve. And I wanna say this, none of these things in and of themselves are bad. None of these things in and of themselves are wrong for us to identify in certain ways with them. But today, I just want to talk about finding our identity in a deeper place. Just for a few minutes, I just want to go a little bit deeper than the surface things that we identify with. And I want to talk about what it would look like if we found our identity in a deeper place. Now, I can't tell you how many times I have sat across the table with someone in my office, uh, sat at a coffee, and these are people that love Jesus. They are on their way to heaven. They want their whole life to be lived for God but they have these things that they can't shake. And they'll say, Pastor Joe, like, I really want to stop this behavior, but I don't know how to stop this behavior. 
I promise God every Sunday when I walk in here and I feel like the goosebumps on the back of my neck and I feel a connection with God, I promise him I'll never do that again. I'll never say that again. I'll never go there again. But I end up in the same place doing the same things with the same people. And without fail, can I tell you what our conversations always come back to? They always circle around to identity. Maybe we could say it this way. Most of your problems as a Christian come from the gap between how God sees you and how you see you. Most of our problems, most of our challenges as a Christ follower, they come from the gap between how God sees you and how you see you. I want you to think about just a couple practical examples that we can find in the Bible. Remember the 12 spies as they're overlooking the promised land? Remember, they've heard about this for years. And God has said, this land, Canaan, belongs to you. And so they send some spies into the land and they're starting to see that there's giants all over the place. And it's a beautiful place, but there is gonna have, there's some battles in front of them. And so the 12 come back and 10 of them, they see themselves in the wrong light. And what do they say? They say, we are like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants. There's no way we could take the promises that God has given us. And then there's these two guys. What are their names? Caleb and Joshua. And they see themselves the way God sees them. And they say, yeah, there's some big giants, but listen, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Bring them on, baby, you know? They say there might be some big giants, but there's also some big grapes. And this is a land flowing with milk and honey. So we say, if God says it's for us, then we can have it. They saw themselves the way God saw them. How about Gideon? He's kind of a wimp, right? And he's hiding out in a wine press. He's doing all of this work to try to prepare a harvest. And he's not even getting to reap the reward of his harvest because this army is coming in and stealing all of his work. And then God appears to him and he says, I'm tapping you on the shoulder. You're gonna lead my people to take back this land that belongs to you. And you remember what Gideon says about himself? This is how he sees himself. He says, God, I'm the least person in my tribe and my tribe is the least tribe in all of Israel. You got the wrong guy. But remember what God says to Gideon? God says, Gideon, you might think you're a wimp, but I say you're a warrior. And so he starts to tell him who he is with God on his side. How about Moses? Moses has been running from God. He's hiding out in the wilderness. God appears to him in a burning bush. I don't know what that looked like, but that had to be intense. And God says, I'm choosing you to free your people from 400 years of slavery. And Moses has the wrong narrative of who he is in his mind. And he says, God, no, 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 I'm a stutterer. I'm a murderer. God, I got a rap sheet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't, I'm a wanted man there. There's warrants out for my arrest in Egypt. You don't want me. And God, God says this. He says, no, no, no. It's not about what you're not. It's about who I am. Remember his answer to Moses? He says, I am the great I am. Tell him I am sent you. And so as we come to God in our old identities, telling him all the things that we're not, what God is saying is, it's okay. It's who I am. You need to shift your identity and change the way you see yourself. And so I love what 1 Peter 2.10 says. This is God speaking to every one of us, by the way, as Christ followers. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. And really embedded in this statement, if you read through the whole passage, what God is saying is you no longer find your identity in what you do. You no longer find your identity in what you've achieved or where you're from. You find your identity in me. And so for the next couple of minutes today, I just want to share a simple message with you. I'm just going to tell you who you are. 
We're just going to talk about who you are as a son and a daughter of God, as a follower of Jesus. You ready? So here's, here's number one. This is going to blow you away. Number one, I am a child of God. Now, let me tell you why that didn't blow your mind. Because you've heard it a million times since you were in Sunday school, and they had the flannel board, you know, with the characters, and your teacher gave you a sucker when you learned, I am a child of God, and you sing it in songs. And if we're not careful, this can become a commonplace reality to us that has no impact and no effect on our life. I want you to think about it. See it from a different perspective. The God who made everything, who made the universe, who made everything we can't see on a microscopic level. He made everything. And he said, I choose to make you. He said, this is where you can find your identity. And so I want you to think about this. When God went to make man, he could have made us in the image of a lot of things, but he said, I am choosing to make man in my image. Remember, he makes people, he makes animals, he makes all of the things leading up to that. And he could have said, I'm gonna make man in the image of an elephant. I'm gonna make man in the image of a rhinoceros. Thank God he did not do that. Nobody said, I'm gonna make, he said, what did he say? Talk to the Trinity. He said, let us make man in our image. He looked at God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and he said, let's make them in our likeness. This is what we call a Mago Dei, made in the image of God. And so God goes to do this and it made me think about my kids. My wife and I have two amazing kids. Joey is 13 and Riley is 11. And one of the things that any father will tell you is when you, when you have a child, the most fun thing to do is see your likeness and your image in your child. You just start to think about it. Oh man, I wonder what they'll look like. And when they finally come and you hold them in your hands, first you see an alien. You're like, this doesn't look like either. But you know what I mean? If you've seen a baby. Uh, but, but a couple days later when the swelling goes away and they're all cleaned up, you're like, I made this and they look like me. Now, th- thank God, uh, my kids mostly look like my wife. I don't know how God did it. It's a miracle, but he took this Harry Burley Italian guy and he made this beautiful, gorgeous girl named Riley Caminetti. Miracles do happen, right? Thank God they look way more like their mom than they do their dad. But he chose to make you in his image. Now, I want you to, I want you to think about this. God sees you the same way. When he looks at you, he sees, that's my son. That's my daughter. I made them and they look like me. Remember what God says to Jesus when he's starting his ministry? He's getting baptized and God, he's speaking and everyone can hear him, everyone can see him. And this is a great tip for dads. The best thing you can do, dads, is to validate your kids in front of other people. You you wanna build their identity up, speak life over them in front of other people. Not the opposite, by the way, because that does a lot of damage. But remember, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. And then what does God say? He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I'm convinced that Jesus would have never been able to do the ministry he was called to if he didn't first have the identity as a beloved son of God. It was out of that identity of a beloved son that he did the ministry that he did. I want you to hear this. You are a beloved son and daughter of God. I love what Bob Goff says. He says, take away what I'm known for and whatever is left is who I am. And it's so tempting sometimes to find our identity in all the external things. It's understandable why we feel that way, but that will only go so far. Because if I find my identity in what I achieve on the days that I don't achieve much, then my identity is bankrupt. But if I can find my identity in who I am 
as a son and a daughter of God, then everything changes. And so I want you to think about your life. I'm just going to use my life as an example. I am not, first and foremost, Joe the pastor, Joe the father, Joe the husband, Joe the preacher, Joe the Browns fan. Had to throw that one in there. No, at the end of the day, when you boil it all down, I am Joe, a beloved son of God. And here's the cool thing. When I can find my identity as Joe, the beloved son of God, then I can be the husband I'm called to be. Then I can be the father to my kids that I'm called to be. Then I can be the pastor. Then I can be the fill in the blank on and on down the line. So I am a beloved son and daughter of God. This is what John chapter one, verse 12 says. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so I want to just, I want to give you an example. This is the prodigal son. I love what happens in this story because the prodigal son, he's given this inheritance and it was like very unheard of to demand your inheritance up front. But before his father has even passed away, he says, I want you to give me all my money. This would have been the equivalent of saying, I wish you would just die. This is in their culture, in the Jewish culture. This is what this would have meant. And so he gets the inheritance and he spends it all. I mean, he's just living wild. He's doing everything he wants to do. And when his money dries up, he finds himself in the lowest spot you could ever imagine as a Jewish person. He is eating with the pigs. I can tell you this is definitely not kosher, you know? And so he's eating slop with the pigs and he comes to his senses. That's what the Bible says. And he says, you know what? I would rather be a servant in my father's house than be eating with the pigs. And so he comes back in this posture of a servant, groveling and begging, and his father sees him at a distance. And what does his father do? He runs to him and he says, no, 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 you're not my servant, you're my son. And then he gives him a ring and that's a sign of identity. And then he gives him a robe and he drapes it around him and he says, I'm covering your sins. Everything that you've done that you're ashamed of, it's covered in me because you are a beloved son of God. Can I tell you something? This is what God is doing in every one of our lives. As we surrender to our identity as a son, a beloved son, a beloved daughter of God, then all of the things that we used to find our identity in, they fade away. And here's the cool part. This is what so many Christians miss out on. I don't do things for sonship. I do things from sonship. I got to get my prepositions right. You know, like I'm not doing this so that God will love me. I do it because he loves me. It's his kindness that leads me to repentance. And when I encounter who God is, and it's not just him telling me, behave, stop doing that, cut that out. It's, it's me saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If it's behold and not behave, then it actually changes my heart from the inside out. And, and the behaviors start to follow along anyways, because my identity is a beloved son and daughter of God. I'm a child of God. Here's number two. This is a big one. I am royalty. I am royalty. You know, my, my wife and daughter talked me into watching this movie a while back, and I wanted to hate it so bad, but I kind of ended up liking it. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to admit it in the moment, but there's a little tear kind of streaming down my eye at the end of the movie, you know, and um, <laughs> just allergies, you know, and, but it's Princess Diaries. Has anybody ever seen this? <laughs> All the guys are like, I ain't never seen that, you know? Zach, that's your favorite movie, right? Is that what I heard? No, I'm just kidding. But, but the, the gist of the movie is there's this very ordinary, there's this very ordinary girl that's growing up in San Francisco, just living a normal life. And out of nowhere, she discovers she's royalty. Can you imagine that? 
And so she discovers she's the direct descendant. She's the heir of this kingdom called Genovia, somewhere overseas. And so the whole rest of the movie is her coming to terms with that identity. Can you imagine how that would shape and change your life if you discovered that you were royalty, that you're a king's kid? But I want you to think about this. This is what God says about you. This is Romans chapter eight, verse 17. Now, if we are children, which we just established this, we're children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we shared in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so here's the reality. The reality is that you are royalty. And God, through his son, Jesus Christ, he purchased you and he, he bought you and made you a part of the royal family. And he says, you are an heir according to that promise. You remember where the Bible says that we're granted access? It says you can come boldly before the what? The throne of grace. And we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And where's Jesus seated? He's seated at the right hand of the Father on a throne. And so there's this this thing that happens when we start to recognize this, and it changes everything. So not only are you a son and a daughter of God, but you are royalty. Now I want to ask you something. Wouldn't it be a shame if this girl went her whole life and never discovered that she was a royal? And wouldn't it have been a shame if she went through the rest of her life living an ordinary life, unaware that she was a child of the king? And I have to wonder how many Christians, I mean, they love God. They're on their way to heaven. There's so much right going on in their life, but they're living in poverty because they don't know their royalty. And I'm telling you, when you start to discover who you are as a son and a daughter of God, who you are as royalty, it changes things. Your royalty shapes your reality. When you recognize your royalty, it shapes your entire life. I was... I was watching this lived out and played out over the last couple of weeks with the death of the queen. And I don't know about you, but like, I just started just binge consuming any content I could find on the monarchy. I've never really cared about it, but I was like, this is fascinating. And so I started diving in and, and you know, what was really interesting to me was just to see the rights that come with being a royal. Like there's some really cool things. Royalty comes with some rights. I'll just tell you a couple. All right. These are just for fun. Like one of the things I thought was pretty cool is you can be the king and queen, you can be in the royal family and you can drive without a driver's license. That means that the royal family has never been to the BMV. Can I get an amen? Like that in and of itself is worth it. You can travel internationally without a passport. That means they've never known the joys of going through the TSA. You know what I'm saying? Like it's always changing on you. Keep your shoes on, take them off. Anyway, I digress. This is my favorite. The royal family they can skip jury duty, no questions asked. Can I get an amen? I mean, that just sounds amazing, right? But listen, those are, those are the frivolous, funny, small things, but I want you to think about this. This was fascinating. I watched a whole video about the inheritance that they get. First of all, the royal family is worth $88 billion, so there's that. But listen to this. Here's what's included in the inheritance of the queen. This is what she passed down to her family. Number one is the crown jewels. Now, I never knew what all this encompassed, but this is crazy. Listen to this. They are a collection of more than 100 royal ceremonial objects and more than 23,000 gemstones that have been acquired by English kings and queens, most dating back to 1660. How about that? All of it. Automatically, they inherit it. How about this? It's valued anywhere between 1.2 and 5 billion, depending on who you ask, and the reason they can't even exactly pinpoint how much it's valued is because there's only three people in the world that are allowed to touch them. This is all handed to them as royalty. 
Get this, the Crown Estate, which is a collection of land and properties worth over $18 billion, all theirs. And there's a Royal Art Collection for $11 billion. And then here's the coolest one. This is my favorite, your royal title. The queen, as she hands off the monarchy to the next one in line and all of the people that are a part of the family, she decides what people call you. She decides what your title will be. You know what was interesting? This just jumped out at me. The way that they know what belongs to them, it's all written in the queen's will. How do we know what belongs to us? It's written in the will that God shows us in his word. And so I want, I want you to see what God says belongs to you. This is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The best part about the royal family is they didn't do one thing to earn it. They didn't do one thing to deserve it. They were born with that birthright. Can I tell you, this is exactly what belongs to you as you assume your identity as a royal. Your royalty shapes your reality as you begin to see, I am a son and a daughter of the king. Now, not only does royalty come with rights, this is what I learned this week. This is pretty cool. Royalty comes with responsibilities. So to say I'm going to be the king, to say yes to that kingship is not saying yes to a lifetime of people serving you and and bowing down to you. Some of that will happen. No, but it is saying yes to a life of sacrifice and servanthood. And what they've determined is I am a representative of the kingdom I belong to everywhere I go. And so they are royal representatives as they leave their kingdom and they go into the world, they represent the kingdom that they belong to. Does this sound familiar? This is what God's calling us to do. He he calls us a chosen people and a royal priesthood. And he says, you're in this world, but you're not of it. And you're royal representatives of a kingdom that is coming one day, but is not yet here. And so we're establishing the kingdom as royalty. And I want you to just take a look at some of the responsibilities Jesus talks about. Think about this, Jesus came to the earth and he could have come having people fan him and feed him grapes. He could have, but that's not how he chose to come. Actually, one of my favorite moments in the Bible because it shows the humanity of the disciples and I'm like, I would have totally been saying the same thing. The the disciples in this passage are arguing about who's the greatest. God, who's gonna get to sit on your right side and your left side in heaven and Which one of us do you think is the best? You know what I mean? Like we judge them, but we would have all been asking similar questions, right? But I love what Jesus says. Luke chapter 22, verse 27. He says, who would you rather be? The one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? But I, your king, I've taken my place among you as the one who serves. And now I confer on you, listen to this wording, the royal authority my father conferred on me so you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened. Listen, listen to what he says. As you take up responsibilities among the congregations of God's people. I love that. You can always tell a Christian who has taken on their identity as a royal son and daughter of God because they're leading the way in serving other people. And Jesus He could have demanded that we serve him, but he said, no, 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 I'm taking off my robe and I'm picking up a towel and I'm gonna wash the feet of the people I love. And this is what God is calling us to. As we discover our identity as royalty, something changes in us and we don't come to God's church and say, what can it do for me? And 
and how will you feed me and what will you do to make my life easier and better? No, no, no. We say, I am in the service of the king. I am a royal representative of this kingdom and it comes with a lifetime of serving and laying my life down for other people because I have a savior that did the same. I am royalty. Here's number three. This is the third and final one. And I would say absolutely the most important one. The third thing you need to know about your identity is this. I am in Christ. I am in Christ. Now, this is going to sound obvious, but I want to say it because it's important. Anytime I find my identity in anything other than Christ, I find it in the wrong place. And here's the challenge. There are so many things in this life and so many things in this world that will tempt me to find my identity there. And so I'll give you a real practical example because they're not always bad things. Sometimes it's just a good thing that we're putting in God's position. And so maybe it's your passion for politics. We saw this played out over the last couple of years, didn't we? And so I'll just say it this way. Anytime I identify as a Republican before I do royalty, my identity is in the wrong place. Anytime I identify as a Democrat or a libertarian or fill in the blank with your political persuasion over my identity in Christ Jesus, my identity is in the wrong place. And I'm not team red and I'm not team blue. Red and blue together makes team purple. That's royal, baby. We are royalty. And this is, yeah, we can give it up. This, this is the reality. Our world will try to tell you, find your identity in your sexuality. But Jesus flipped that on its head and he said, no, no, no. My identity is as a Christ follower. And so my Christianity tells my sexuality what to do, how to behave. It's, do you see the reverse? It's, it's God, you have complete control of my life. And it's going back to the theme scripture. My body is not my own. I, I like to say it this way. I determined a long time ago that my desires don't decide. Can you imagine what kind of world we would live in if we just did whatever we desired to do? We would all weigh 450 pounds, first of all, right? Except for you skinny people that eat all you want and you never gain anything. I hate you a little bit, but I love you, but I love you. We would all weigh 450 pounds. We would binge watch whatever we wanted. We would call off sick from work. We would have no purpose. We would sleep with whoever we want to. We would enter into marriage until it was convenient, and then we'd move on to the next person. No, no, no. A life as a Christ follower, it's someone saying, I've crucified my passions to the cross with Jesus Christ, and it's not my will, it's his will that will be done. So God, I surrender every part of my life. My body's not my own. My body was bought with a price that belongs to you, so you get to tell my body what to do. And if you wanna dig deeper into that idea, Pastor Joe took a whole week and just talked about the concept, my body is not my own. And this world will try to tell you to think a different way. I love what this one preacher said. He said, the world that we live in, it tries to animalize humans and humanize animals. Isn't that good? I remember growing up, excuse my crassness, but I think it's just so helpful because we live in a crazy world. There was this band and the line in the band when I was in high school is, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. Let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel. And, and this is, it sounds so silly, but this is the mantra of our culture. I just do whatever my desires want me to do. And that's funny and it's silly, but I'm just trying to help you to see that like as a Christ follower, here's what ultimately happens. We come to a place where we say, no, 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 I'm not some animal. I'm not in heat. I am royalty. When we would do things, I can tell you this, I watched this happen as the royal family were greeting millions of people. If one of the royal grandkids would kind of get out of line and do something they weren't supposed to do, immediately 
the parents would swoop in. And, and they were nice about it, but really what they were saying is, hey, that's unbefitting behavior of a royal. Do you not know the family that you belong to? When I used to act a fool, my dad would say this. He'd say, hey, you're a Caminetti. Caminettis don't do that. You see how it shifts the way that we see ourselves and shifts our identity? As we see ourselves in Christ, it begins to change things. This is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Here's what it says. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, and the old life is gone, and a new life has begun. So this is the reality that we're saying goodbye to all the stuff in the rearview mirror, all the things our flesh wants, and we're saying yes to who we are in Christ Jesus. I love, I love just talking practically, so let me give you just right before we end a couple of practical ways this can change your life, all right? So Paul said it this way in Colossians 1. He said, not only are you in Christ, but he says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this was like a revelation that was hidden from the Jews for hundreds of years. And then he, he released it to people that were on the outside looking in, to the Gentiles. That's you and me. And so it's this amazing thing that we're realizing. But how does this, how does this change my everyday life? Here's a really practical one. Well, my yes to my identity in Christ helps me say no. My yes helps me say no. I'll give you a good example. Let's just imagine that there are two guys and they're smokers and they don't want to be smokers anymore. Or for the Gen Zers, they're vaping. Okay, I'm just trying to be relatable here. Okay, so there's someone that comes up to them. And they're like, hey, would you like to smoke? And the one guy says, no, thanks. I'm trying to quit. And although that's admirable, and many of us may have said that over the years, there's one little problem in that. This guy still identifies as a smoker. So he's trying to change his behavior without changing his identity. And how many of you think that'll last very long? But here's what happens with the other guy just a minor change in the way he sees things. They offer him the same cigarette, and he says, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. Can you see the difference there? There's a change in his identity. What he's really saying, if you unpack it, is I used to be a smoker. That's who I was, but I'm not the same person anymore. Therefore, my yes to this new identity helps me say no to this bad behavior. And so this is what God is asking us to do. If you're struggling with saying no to bad behaviors and things that are, that are you know, derailing your relationship with God, the best thing you can do is say yes. The best thing you can do is just say, I'm gonna assume my identity as someone that is in Christ. How about this? Your identity helps you to find security. So let's just get real practical. Some of us find security in all the things we listed earlier. It makes me think about if you were to go change your identity, what's the first thing they would do? They'd probably give you a new name and then they'd issue you a new social security number. I want to ask you, I wonder what numbers make us secure in this room today? Maybe it's the number on the scale. Maybe we think if I could just bulk up and I could be this size, then people would respect me at school, right? Like then my identity would be where it needs to be. Maybe you're like me and you're like, I'd like that number to climb a little bit lower, but then I'd, then I'd find value. Then I, would have, then I would have a place. Maybe it's the number in our bank account the number in our savings, the number in our Roth IRA. If I could just have this many zeros after my name, then I would be someone. Then I would finally have security. Maybe, oh, maybe it's how many people follow you on social media. Oh, if I could just have that blue check mark next to my name, then I'd be somebody. And I think about Gideon. This is where we'll end. Gideon finally says yes to God. And he's got this army behind him of 32,000 men that are going to fight the enemy. 
and he's kind of feeling himself. He's like, I think we can do this. But what does God say? God says, hold on, Gideon. Your army's too big. And Gideon's like, what? No, no, no. We need more. We, we could use a few more, honestly, God. I was thinking maybe 60,000 would be good. Could you, could you ship some people in from some different neighboring communities? And God says, no, no, no. No, because it's not about the size of your army. It's about the size of your God. And if, if you find your identity and how many people are with you, you're going to fail every time. And so he, he makes it 300 men. And the story has a pretty good ending. And so really what, what all of us are trying to do is we're trying to come to this conclusion. This is what the Old Testament says. It says, some may trust in horses and some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God because we're in Christ Jesus. Some, some may trust in horsepower and Bentleys and bank accounts, but we will trust in the name of our God because we are in Christ. This is the reality that we assume in our identity as a follower of Jesus. And so here's what I want to do. I want to end just give you a laugh as we head out today. You know, I was thinking about this. Not only does the Bible say that you are in Christ and Christ is in you, the Bible calls you a bride of Christ. It's beautiful, poetic language, right? You ever seen a couple that's been together so long they start to look like each other? You know what I'm saying? I, this, this is actually, there's a science to this. Um, it's, it's something about being, living in the same climate, eating the same food, sharing the same experiences. There is this phenomenon that happens where couples will begin to look like each other. They almost start to assume that identity. And I thought I'd just bring a couple of pictures with, with me just to show you what I'm talking about. These are real pictures. This one is Denzel Washington. You're going to see it pop up here with his wife. And this is a side-by-side picture. That's pretty awesome. You will never unsee that. Uh, <clears throat> one more. This is Dr. Strange, and it's about to get strange here. Uh, Benedict Cumberpatch. There we go. Pretty awesome. And um, it even happens with your pets. Take a look at this. Okay, I just threw that one in for free. Just for free. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. Can you imagine if this is actually true? Aaron is in so much trouble. You know, can you imagine? Like, oh, Lord, pray for her. No, but listen, this is the idea that as we take up our identity as the bride of Christ and we spend more time with Jesus, we start to look like Jesus. All the old behaviors and habits, they start to fade away and we start to see who God made us to be. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.